0: Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. There are so many tears that the Israelite people shed. So much despair that they have undergone, but still, I mean, even more so, so much more joy after God has brought them through everything that they have endured that we read about recorded in the scriptures. And I don't know about you, but growing up, whenever I would hear about the Israelites, it was almost exclusively about what was going on in Egypt, or perhaps it was what was going on in the wilderness as they wandered 40 years. Every now and then, maybe, perhaps, it was a message about when they just entered into the promised land. And yet, growing up, I didn't really hear that much about their exile in the nation of Babylon. It may have been taught, but I was too young to understand what what it meant and what was going on in the text. And yet, the, our... Um, title for this morning's sermon is By the Waters of Babylon. It's found in the book of Psalms, Psalm 137. And I've heard it expressed before about the psalm, is that the psalms are very valuable to us Americans because it teaches us Americans to pray like Jews. And as we're witnessed to in the book of Psalms, not all of the psalms or of Israel's prayers were were um, glittery. Now there are some glittery songs and psalms along the way but many of them are very raw and very rugged and ragged and yet they are just so unabashedly honest though and vivid to whatever is going on and so if there is happiness in our hearts what we find is they are offering God a very happy prayer. If they're heartbroken, it is a heartbroken prayer. And that is that kind of honesty that God wants as we bow before him in prayer. And so we come to Psalm 137 and starting in the first verse, this is a Psalm that comes to us not out of Jerusalem, but out of Babylon during the exile. Where it says that by the waters of Babylon, There we sat down and we wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And yet then in verse 4 it is asked, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And I mean, it is one of the most saddest and yet one of the most beautiful sentences that we find that has ever been composed, where it says that by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept. You can almost envision in your mind a group of of Jewish exiles standing there by the riverside by the water of Babylon. And I mean, in the past week, as I was reading Psalm 137, it was so heartbreaking that I had um, teardrops that were hitting um, on the page as I read it. It reminds me a lot of something out of um, Diaries of Anne Frank. And that's because exile is a living nightmare that has no end in sight. Well, as we all know, Joshua is the story about when the walls of Jericho came a-tumbling down. Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, they record, however, when the walls of Jerusalem came a-tumbling down. And a week ago, we had seen that in the year 587 B.C., Babylon lays siege to the city of Jerusalem. The siege lasts one full year into the year 586 B.C. And so what this means is that there were a lot of Israelite people who were stranded inside their houses for for long durations of time. And you see, what this also means, though, is that starvation very quickly began setting in. And that starvation had reached such a desperate um, um, point that you can read multiple times in the book of Lamentations about mothers who were actually placing their own children inside boiling pots and eating them. And yet, once you are led outside of your, your house by Babylonian officers, though, this is where exile merely just begins, as you were forced-marched straight into Babylon. Now, as the Israelites leave Egypt much earlier on in the book of Exodus, there, there are roughly 430 miles between Egypt and Jerusalem. And yet Babylon is in modern-day Iraq, though. We're talking about a place 30 miles southwest of the city of Baghdad. This is 1,000 miles away, more than two times that journey that the Israelites once made out of Egypt. And just to give us an idea of what kind of a distance we we are speaking about between Jerusalem and and there between there in Babylon, is I just want you to imagine walking on foot from Westchester, Pennsylvania, all the way down to Daytona Beach, Florida, where we used to live. That's roughly a thousand mile journey. Or if you went the other way, that is from Westchester, roughly just about all the way to Green Bay, Wisconsin. So we're talking about a very long journey. took them a month to get there on foot. And yet this morning, though, as we read about the Israelites and their Babylonian exile, really what I want us to do this morning is not so much to merely read about them, but to imagine if this was happening to us right now in the world today. Where it's Sunday morning and we have all gathered together as the Lord's Church and we're going to have a wonderful worship assembly this morning. And yet we don't know it, but it's the very last time that we're going to meet in this way. And that's because a foreign army is going to invade in about five or six hours from now. I want you to imagine that you have lived in the same house for roughly 38 years, but there's a knock on your door, and there's a Babylonian officer telling you that you don't live here anymore, and now you are homeless. And as you're walking out of your house for the very last time, after 38 years, you should take a very long look behind you at all of the cars in your driveway, at the pets in your window, at the pictures that are lining the walls of your house, at all of the various keepsakes that have been in your your own family for multiple generations because you will never see those things ever again. And yet, more than anything though, what I want to impress on our minds is that although it did not happen to everybody, we better believe that there was family separation going on at the time of the exile. For all of us men, I want you to imagine a foreign officer finding your your wife attractive. And this officer has the authority, if he wants to, to actually take your wife by force and to do whatever he wishes to her in the days ahead. It's very likely that you may never even see your wife ever again after this moment. For everybody who has children and who has grandchildren, take a very long look at them because chances are they are also going to be scattered all across the Babylonian Empire. And so you and roughly 40,000 other people are then placed on, on all kinds of various planes and you're, and you're flown all the way to Iraq, where you will live for a very long time as slaves. And as we get off of that plane and disembark in Iraq, we get out of there and it is such a strange looking place. It's very hot. There's all these weird smells that are foreign to our nostrils. We're looking around and there's all kinds of strange temples where all of these bizarre gods that we can't even, have never even heard of or can pronounce are being worshipped. There's a language that we cannot speak. And everywhere that we are going to, to go, locals are going to look at us as human cockroaches. It's not so much that we have gone to a different region of the world in as much as as it's going to actually feel like we have been transported to another planet. As we read about the Israelites going into Babylonian exile, this is not them merely having a bad day, perhaps. And yet to most of them, this was the end of their lives. It felt as if their souls had been ripped out Their own bodies. And so, as we read in Psalm 137, as the psalmist records, that by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept our hearts out. What we need to understand is that these are exiles who feel as if their very souls had been ripped out of their own bodies. And as we also see in the text there in verse 3, it says that that our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, as they said, sing us one of the songs of Babylon, or of um, Zion, rather. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Now, it could be that this is them mocking the Israelites and jeering them. But it's also very likely, though, that they genuinely wanted to actually hear one of the songs that came out of Jerusalem, out of Zion. And yet we see the heartbroken reply to this, though, in verse 4. Where the psalmist says, "Ah, but how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? I don't think this means that you cannot sing God's music in Babylon, or it would be a profane to those songs. I don't think it means that at all. And yet that word Zion is another word for Jerusalem, for God's temple, for the dwelling place of Jehovah and Yahweh. And what I hear in this reply so much more is, no, we can't sing those kind of songs anymore. Because again, I want you to imagine that you have just been uprooted out of your own country. You've been perhaps separated from your wife or from your husband. There are older family members who had been slaughtered as the invasion had transpired in Jerusalem. Now you are a homeless slave living a thousand miles away from everything that you have ever known. And now other people are saying, hey, you, sing the happiest song that you have ever heard in your life. And if you're an Israelite standing there by the Euphrates River in Babylon, this is, I mean... Are we going to sing Psalm 47? Clap your hands, all of you people. Shout to God with with loud shouts of joy. And you're like, no, I I can't sing that song right now. Well, are we going to sing Psalm 100, where it says that "That I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter into the temple courts and I will praise the living God. Nope, I can't sing that song either. Well, how about Psalm 84? As it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord God of hosts. It's like, well, that song is about a temple that doesn't even exist anymore. It was burned to the ground a month and a half ago. And so what the sentiment now is, is that how can I sing songs about the temple of God, about a temple that is ash and rubble right now? How can I shout aloud that the Lord is my shepherd? He leads me beside still waters, but it's no longer the Jordan River in Israel. Now it is the Euphrates River in some strange region called Babylon. How can I rejoice in song that, that, that God has seated me at a table in the presence of my enemies, when now it is my own enemies who have been seated at the table feasting? I am the one who is waiting on them hand and foot as a slave. And in so many ways, this is why it says in verse 2 that, that on the willows there, we hung up our lyres. In other words, we just can't play anymore. We can't sing to God anymore. It's taken all of the music out of our souls. And I never knew this until last week, but did you know that the... Weeping willows that we know of, still to this day, come from Babylon. That they come from Psalm 137 in this very beautiful moment, very very sorrowful moment, that on the willows there we hung up our liars. This is where it all comes from. And so as the hours turn into days, and as the days turn into weeks, and the weeks turn into months, and the months become years, Finally, it begins sinking in. that. Wait a minute, when, when they force march you over a thousand miles out of your country, what that means is that we are not getting back anytime soon. In fact, I, I believe what this means in our own individual time is that, is that there are going to be many times in even our lives still today where we will find our own exiles, our our very own Babylons. And what we will discover is exactly what the Israelites had discovered in Babylon, is that Babylon is a city that we must live in for a while. Well, we heard the prophet Jeremiah last week. Jeremiah had been living in the time as, as all of this had happened. And there's a famous chapter in Jeremiah chapter 29 as God notices the Israelites getting very uneasy in Babylon, thinking that, you know what, we might be getting out of here soon. And yet what God says to his nation in Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4, he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, God says, build houses and live in them. I want you to plant gardens and eat their produce. He says, I want you all to take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may also bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Then especially notice there in verse 7 where he says, he says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for, for in its welfare, you are going to find your welfare. Now, nobody knows this at the time, but in retrospect, we have have the ability to actually know that, that they would be in Babylon for 48 years. 48 years they are in Babylonian exile. And you see, what this means is that everybody who had been taken captive on that day out of Jerusalem, who was 55 years of age or older, Babylon is where they will spend the rest of their lives. They will be buried on Babylonian soil. And so what God is saying is that I need you guys to understand, we are not going home anytime soon. I need you to lay down roots in Babylon where you are. Be be active in Babylon, present. Live your lives in Babylon. God once again says, be fruitful and multiply. And yet the thing about exile is, however, is that exile in Babylon does not always have to be a foreign invasion. I don't think that's likely ever going to happen in most of our lives. And yet what we need to understand, though, is that Babylon and exile is going to come to us, and it comes to us all in so many various ways. It is the man whose marriage has been destroyed by his alcoholism, where he has been in jail for a couple of years now. He's released from jail, he goes right into rehab, spends a couple months in rehab, and he goes into a a recovery house where where he goes through AA. About a year after that, now he's getting his life all together again, and he's now sober. Four years he has not had a sip of alcohol. And so he goes and he reunites with his family at last on Thanksgiving Day. And yet as he comes to the table, though, he notices that his ex-wife now has a new husband who, by the way, his two children are also calling dad. And as he gets back into his car, he just sits there for a moment in the driveway and he hangs his head and he weeps on the steering wheel. You see, this is Babylon. This is exile. And yet even as he undergoes exile and he undergoes Babylon, he's got a tremendous responsibility though, doesn't he? He's got a responsibility to show his two children what being a father and a dad now is all about since his life is now back on track. You see, the welfare of his children is going to be his welfare. Or maybe it is a woman whose husband of 41 years has just died of a heart attack. And for three consecutive weeks, she keeps thinking that she hears his voice in the living room. She spends three or four hours at a time sitting in his recliner, looking at the hallway, just convinced that at any moment the door is going to come open and he's going to come walking to her right down the hallway once again. And yet three weeks after that, as she's speaking to his urn, realization excruciatingly sets in that, wait a minute, he's never going to come back. And she hangs her head, and she begins sobbing in her chair. This is exile. This, in so many ways, is Babylon. And yet she's got a tremendous responsibility too, though, and it's her welfare. As she undergoes grief, and she enters into this very sad season, and, and this excruciating new normal in her life. Or maybe it is a young minister who just three weeks ago had been keynoting at a conference. He was speaking to over a thousand people inside a ballroom. And yet just three weeks later, now he is now unemployed. And the church that he had been working for at the time ever since threw him and his wife out in the streets. And now the exact same minister who just three weeks ago I've been speaking to a thousand people at a conference. Now is standing on a street corner, flipping a sign for a real estate area for $9 an hour. And the only two words in his mind that he thinks all day long, loser, failure, failure, failure. And then another word, worthless, worthless, worthless. He gets to the point where he doesn't even want to go to a worship service anymore because of all of the wounds that it rips apart. And as he stands there holding a sign, he hangs his head and he weeps on the street corner as the cars slowly drive by. You see, this is exile. This is Babylon. And I should know because I was that minister eight years ago. And yet I discovered, though, that I had a tremendous responsibility, though, in my exile, and that is I've got to be teachable. I have to have long-suffering and a patience as I undergo my exile. But here's what I love about the book of Psalms, though, is that for every Psalm 23 and Psalm 1 that we are given, there are a dozen psalms of laments for, for seasons of exile like this. Psalms of Lament all look all pretty much the exact same because what they say is, why God? They say, God, how long is this going to continue? They say, God, show up and do something. God, help us. And then God, are you even there anymore? Do you care about us anymore? And that's because exile is you know, it's just not going to it's a vanish or go away overnight, is it? Exile is a living nightmare with no end in sight. And yet the good news is for us is that even though exile exists, there's also an end to exile as well. And if it's true that exile is a living nightmare in real life, then it is even more so that Zion is a daydream to those living in the real time. So they go into Babylon in the year 586 BC, but now it's the year 539 BC. King Nebuchadnezzar is long gone. He has died years ago. And there's a new sheriff in town and he just looks at the Israelites one day and says, you guys can go on home now. And in our Bibles, if you just maybe flip one or two pages over to the left and come to Psalm 126. Psalm 137 is that, God, we cannot sing to you anymore. We are all out of songs that we can sing. Psalm 126 is what happens when they are set free and they return back into Jerusalem where it says in Psalm 126 and verse 1, that when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. You see, after 48 years of exile, now they are finally able to go home. 48 years is a very long time. 48 years ago, for us, it was 1972. Richard Nixon was our president in 1972, 48 years ago. The Vietnam War was still raging overseas. You see, this is how euphoric these people were as they go back. And I mean, as they make their dramatic homecoming back to the city of Jerusalem, can you imagine how surreal this moment really was? Well, for most of these people who have been born in Babylon, this is the very first time that they have ever seen Jerusalem. And yet for everybody else, though, who is older, who who remembers the old Jerusalem, for everybody who was my age, 36 years old, as they originally left Jerusalem for Babylon, 36 years old then, now those exact same people are now 84 years old. I mean, you are an old man, an old woman at this point. And I especially imagine being one of those individuals where it's just like you're looking around back, um, now. I'm in Zion, in Jerusalem, and it's like, am I really here right now? I can't believe that I am in Jerusalem once again. I, you know, I must be dreaming right now. It feels like a daydream, but it's really happening in real time. And isn't it beautiful, though, that that many of the exact same mouths that have been rendered mute by the waters of Babylon now are shouting with elation by the Jordan River in Zion. See, they thought that they would never sing ever again to God. But God is the God who gives his nation new songs. And God gives us new songs as well. And yet what we have got to understand, though, however, is that even in Zion, we will weep again. Because yes, they are ecstatic. Yes, they are back in Jerusalem right now. And yet they begin looking around and it's like, oh yeah. And they're looking at a barren wasteland lying in ruins at a city that needs to be rebuilt, very few hands to actually do it. Anybody who's older is looking around and they can almost envision their, their mother and their father, their grandparents, lifelong friends that they had in childhood, and they, they realize that they're not going to come walking up to me anymore because they're all dead now. And yet, most glaringly of all, the elephant in the room is they all look where, where King Solomon's temple used to be, and it's gone. The temple isn't there anymore. And it says in the book of Ezra, chapter 3, that as they begin laying a foundation for the brand new temple, everybody who was younger begins celebrating with, with these loud shouts of joy. Yes, we're going to have a brand new temple. And yet it says that all the older people and many of the priests looking at this foundation, how much smaller it is than what was originally there in the days of Solomon, they begin hanging every one of their heads. And they begin weeping as everybody else is rejoicing because it's, you know what, it's just not the same as it was. I mean, they are back in Jerusalem now and they're there. And yet then it, in another sense, they're not there anymore. It's different now. It's just not the same as it once was. And you know what? I was thinking just yesterday afternoon as I was at at our worship building, I was thinking how I cannot wait until we are back in our auditorium where we can see everybody's faces again just like old times. I mean, it... Can you imagine what a dramatic homecoming it's going to be when we gather together again? I cannot wait for it. I miss everybody's faces. Yet, having said that, though, we also need to prepare ourselves for many challenges that we very well may encounter along the way, though, whenever we do return. And that is, it's going to be different. It's not going to be exactly the same as it was before. And in some ways, this is going to be a tremendous joy and a blessing. In other ways, it's going to be sad, perhaps, maybe even a challenge to many of us, at least. I think especially that Amanda has lungs that are are deficient, and she's not going to be able to come for a very long time. And when we do come back, I'm not going to be able to sit next to my wife and to have the Lord's supper with her as I always have. That might just feel more like an exile than having to be in our houses all this time, for me at least. At least in my own case, I'm not going to be able to just walk up to everybody and to hug you as I want to. I'm going to have to have a mask on and And there's going to be a distance between us for for a while until it's safe once again. And yet here is what our encouragement is, though, this morning. And it was the same exact encouragement for the Israelites all of these years ago, is that as nice as Solomon's temple was, as wonderful as our church building is, church buildings are not the promised land. Church buildings is not Zion. But rather, at least for us Christians, Zion is wherever Jesus Christ happens to be dwelling. Which, as we read in the book of Ephesians, is in our hearts through faith. And so really what this all boils down to this morning is that there are exile experiences that are awaiting every last one of us. And these exile experiences are going to to very easily take the music out of our souls for a while. And yet, even in the loudest depths of Babylon, there is a Zion where King Jesus dwells. I find it very interesting how in, in New Testament scripture, Babylon becomes a metaphor for for Rome as Caesar becomes a new Nebuchadnezzar and here's what I find most interesting of all though about as we read about Babylon used as a metaphor in New Testament Scripture, is that as the Apostle Peter writes his very first epistle in 1 Peter, he does not refer to the Christians as residents of of that particular country or city, but rather how he addresses them is sojourners. He calls them aliens, and then get this, he calls them exiles. And then as he ends 1 Peter, he writes that she who is at Babylon sends her greetings. And it just, it makes me scratch my head because Babylon hasn't been a nation for 300 years at this point. What does that mean? And if I could borrow the words of a minister whose name is Brian Zahn, this is what that means. Where Brian Zahn says that Babylon isn't just a place in history or a particular geography. But rather Babylon is empires of domination that operate through greed and violence, idolatry and injustice. That is Babylon wherever it is. And he adds that for all who have been baptized into Jesus, we belong to his kingdom, but were exiles in the land of our birth. You see, the kingdoms of this world are all Babylon. Especially the mighty superpowers built upon greed and violence, idolatry and injustice. We live in the United States of Babylon. And don't let that offend you. It's just the way that it is. I mean, if it consoles you, you can say America is the greatest Babylon that has ever existed. Fine, and yet it's still a Babylon, though. And yet, even in the midst of Babylon, there is a Zion where God dwells with his people. And so I just want to close this morning's message with those very poignant words in Psalm 137, verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept. And I just want to ask you if those words remind you of of experiences you have had in your own life. About exiles and Babylons that you have undergone where you wanted to worship God but you just could not do it the spirit was not willing the spirit was was weary or maybe there are individuals who you know in your life who who are there right now and and are our invitation here this morning is to go to those people and to to let them know how God got you out of our own Babylon and out of our own exile. And that's because for us Christians, we can sing the songs of the Lord anywhere and everywhere. And that is especially in strange lands and lonely places and sad seasons and depressing circumstances. And exile, however, we will experience and taste. My brothers and sisters, He will give us a new song, and there will be rejoicing because there is always rejoicing in the presence of Zion.